This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today on Fifth Emission, we're going back at the coronavirus. We have a cruise ship being kept at sea, new cleaning regimens adopted by transit agencies, and stores running out of basic supplies. So is it time to get alarmed? First, I'm speaking with health writer Aaron Alday about the latest news. Then I'll be back with Mallory Mensch to talk about children, families, and what you can say to your children about the coronavirus. But first, Aaron, let's talk about the latest that we know in terms of how this virus is being seen in the Bay Area. So we're getting, um, you know, still every day, many, many more new cases coming up. Uh, just just today, this Thursday, Santa Clara County had six new cases, I believe. I think they're up to around 20 in that county now. San Francisco today just announced its very first two cases, um, which it's kind of amazing it took that long, frankly, for them to find two cases. Um, but they have the first two cases. So, I mean, I haven't done the math recently, but I think that there are community cases in most, if not every single Bay Area county at this point. And which counties seem to be hardest hit at this point? Definitely Santa Clara County has been the hardest hit. Um, they have probably four times, five times as many cases as any other uh, Bay Area County. In fact, I think they are the hardest hit in the the state at this point. Why do you think that is? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's just because there's a lot of international travel. Um, you know, folks who work maybe um, in Silicon Valley and live down there. Um, you know, at this point, with community cases, you just Part of the problem is you don't know where they came from. I mean, that's the definition of, of community illness is they can't trace it back to a specific source. So it just means it's kind of floating wildly, wildly out there in the community. Um, and, you know, it's impossible to say where it came from. We also have this cruise ship, the princess. Uh, the grand princess. The grand princess. You would think I remember that by now. That is at sea uh, with thousands of passengers on it. What's the latest about this cruise ship? Right. So this cruise ship is, you're right, it's about, a, I think it's about a day's uh, voyage out to sea. Um, I think it's off the coast of Santa Cruz is where it's, it's been, it's being held right now. Um, there are 3,500 people total on there now. About 2,500 of those are passengers and about 1,000 crew members. Um, and last I heard, there were about three dozen people who had at some point experienced symptoms that could be uh, coronavirus. Um, and there were 62 passengers on there who had, you know, potentially been exposed to coronavirus, known to have an exposure to uh, coronavirus. And all of those folks who are out at sea need to be tested to see if they do, in fact, have this virus. And meanwhile, the hundreds, you know, thousands of other people on that boat um, are are waiting to see, you know, if anybody else is sick. So if they find, you know, cases amongst those 100, 200 people who are being tested, then the next step will seen will be seen how far this thing has spread on this boat. But they're going to want to get these passengers back quickly. Because they're so ill? No, because you don't want a situation where this is, you know, a Petri dish and it just spreads. You don't want to just have everybody trapped on this ship infecting each other. Um, and they can only stay, you know, in their rooms for so long. So 
you know, the previous cruise ship, the uh, the Diamond Princess was the one that was, you know, off of Japan for, I think, three weeks it was there. Some people were on that that ship for a long time. And it did become this this thing where everybody on that ship, I mean, not everybody became sick, but it was 700 people. That's one of the largest outbreaks, single outbreaks in the world at this point. And it was because they just trapped them on there for that time. So we don't want that situation here in California. What is it about cruise ships that seem like they they always seem to play this key role in all of these major sicknesses. I mean, we even had a sickness that people were calling colloquially the cruise ship disease at one point a couple of years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, norovirus is the one that's most associated with them. Um, it's, you know, it's just really close quarters. People that are around the same people day after day after day in very close quarters. And right now we're trying to get, the the government is trying to get tests to the ship. What's the status with that? So the last I heard, I think it was this morning or late this morning or early afternoon, the Coast Guard uh, airlifted. So they took a couple helicopters out to the ship um, and dropped off um, about 200 test kits, which I think is enough to to test several hundred people. Um, and, you know, I don't know who exactly is going to be collecting the samples, but the people who are considered the highest risk, they'll collect samples from those people, put them back on the helicopters. They'll be taking those test kits to the state um, laboratory in Richmond, which will conduct the actual test uh, for the virus. Um, those tests take a few hours. So I think the latest is that we should have results back tomorrow morning. So this this ship is is not the same ship as the people who were disembarked from Japan who were then sent to San Antonio and to Travis Air Force Base. Correct. That's a different, same company, different ship. Same company, different ship. But two former passengers on this ship, the Grand Princess, um, were on a cruise to Mexico, have already disembarked and gone home and were later diagnosed with this. So can you walk us through, like, what, what exactly happened with this ship? Right. It is. I mean, it's, it's confusing. Yeah, we um, were trading emails late <laughs> last night. I'm like, I still don't understand. Is this the same ship? Is it a different ship? It is super. And part of it is I didn't realize this, but these cruise ships have a really quick turnaround time. So this this ship, the Grand Princess, um, and it is based out of San Francisco. San Francisco is its home port. So it left for a 10-day trip to Mexico from San Francisco on uh, February 11th. Um, returned from that trip. Um, everything seemed fine. Um, everybody offboarded um, and then kind of went on their way, except for 62 people who are, I guess, really into cruises because they <laughs> immediately this is on February. They have more vacation time than we do. <laughs> yes. Retirees, you know, they've yeah, they've got some time. Uh, so this was on February 21st that it came back to San Francisco from the Mexico trip. Everybody got off board except these 62 people got back on board. And joined, uh, you know, 2,500 other people and went on a trip to Hawaii. So they, like, literally eight hours later, this ship turned around, headed back to Hawaii, presumably after being thoroughly disinfected, as I know you were concerned. I'm sure it was. Um, and meanwhile, these, you know, but all they these... didn't know at the time that they had nobody had knew. people there who had the virus because this has a really long lag time, it seems, it, between exposure and the development of symptoms. It does have a long lag time, but also, you know, these... Nobody's thinking just cruise ships generically. Um, you know, we had these very tight protocols, and this is this is actually a, a potential criticism, but we've had these very tight protocols for what we consider a risk, you know, a risky situation in this country. 
And that's only, you know, travel to China or known places where there are outbreaks or known interaction with somebody who's been diagnosed. So all these cruise ship passengers that have gone to Mexico, we're not thinking there's any reason to suspect that they have coronavirus. So nobody's looking for it. So, you know, these passengers get off. They go back to their homes. I mean, thousands of people, 2,500 people. Um, And it turns out that now we actually have three cases confirmed positive, but at least three people had coronavirus. Um, And one of them, the person who unfortunately died uh, this week in Placer County, we know for a fact that that person was not feeling well when he was on the ship. So he had symptoms while he was on that trip to Mexico um, and while he was traveling home. And um, so now they're thinking, you know, they're on they're on the hunt. They're trying to find who else from that Mexico trip might have been exposed. But in the meantime, because these 62 people who were on that trip got on the next boat to Hawaii, if they are also sick, then they've potentially exposed everybody on that Hawaii boat. And that's why we have that Hawaii ship um, that was on its way back to San Francisco from Hawaii. That's why they're being held out at sea so that we can test those people and see what happens. Is there anything new that scientists have learned about the disease over the last couple of days that you think is relevant? Or are we still really searching for some basic answers? I think one key thing we've learned, um, I don't know if it's that we've learned, but that we're starting to come around to, but the CDC is introducing new um, protocols that we're now pretty well convinced that this thing spreads by droplets and it's not airborne. Um, we were treating it as though it could be airborne for a long time, which is why you had people like in these negative pressure rooms and these really kind of extreme isolation systems in hospitals. And also, you know, when when healthcare workers were interacting with them, they were having to wear like the full head to toe, you know, face mask and 95 mask suits. And Not quite that level, but close to it. Yeah. I mean, pretty close to it, which is which is a real burden. I mean, that's that's hard to do. Um, also not very comforting for the no. patients, I would think. No, no, not very comforting to anybody and um, or the other patients who are there. So the thinking is that that's I think that's going to change real soon. I would guess probably next week that they're going to start saying that's impractical um, and kind of resort to the same level of protection we'd use for influenza. I think a lot of people are starting to see this thing is. Yes, it can cause more serious uh, illness than influenza, um, especially amongst older people. But for most of the public, it's right kind of in that that same area. And we should probably be treating it as such. We also have our first uh, case in San Francisco. What do we know about that, if anything? So there's two cases. um, And one of them is in a 90, somebody who's in their 90s. Um, and that person is in serious condition and hospitalized. Um, and then the other case is somebody in their 40s who is also hospitalized but in uh, less serious condition. The death toll, um, according to the live blog that we have up right now on sfchronicle.com, is around worldwide om- almost at 100,000 diagnosed cases. So we, And we know there are many more cases of people who probably have mild symptoms and didn't go through the whole testing procedure. Um but there's about 3,300 confirmed deaths. What do you make of that number? I mean, that seems to be holding up in, I think we just did the math on that, and that was actually up to 3%, um, which is a little bit higher than what it had been reported. We've been seeing 2%. But as you rightfully pointed out, we don't know what the denominator is. You know, this 100,000 cases, um, and especially as this thing becomes more and more widespread, we you know, it's it's going to be much higher than that, which, you know, the more cases you have, um, 
you know, the lower the, the fatality rate gets. Now, that's assuming that we're keeping good track of, of fatalities. Um, we're probably keeping better track of fatalities because we're much better just worldwide of, you know, saying when somebody's dead, what caused them to die versus identifying every illness. But, you know, it is still something we just don't know the answer to. I think people are definitely still leaning towards this probably being worse than the flu, but it's still too early to say how much worse. Um, you know, one thing along those lines is in terms of the denominator, knowing, knowing how many people are ill um, in California and the United States, that's one big topic right now among uh, public health folks and providers is there are probably many, many more people who are infected with this than are being reported. So the CDC only has about 150 plus cases. California, I think we're at probably 70 cases today. Um, but it's frankly probably so much higher than that. One of the things I keep seeing um, in some of our stories is places closing for quote unquote deep cleaning. What is that? <laughs> what does deep cleaning mean in a situa situation like this? Um, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, it's it's probably just, I mean, it's when you deep clean your own home, I think. Like, it's just going through and being, like, really thorough. Like, you know, pulling furniture out of the walls and, you know, going over things with just even harder core disinfectants. Um, doing it certainly much more often. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think that that's basically what they're talking about. Um, and, you know, there are definitely people that say that that, that helps. Um, because this thing does live on surfaces um, potentially for hours. And so, you know, it does it does make sense to go through and just like, you know, you don't want to be kind of sloppy about it, I think is the difference. <laughs> it's like you don't want to just go through and kind of brush over things with the rag and, you the, know, you want to take some time. <laughs> the thing that I hear everybody talking about in the newsroom and out in the community is like uh, the public shaming of people who aren't doing a good job washing their hands right now. And I kind of think the same thing is true about deep cleaning. Like my level of deep cleaning is probably different than somebody else's. I would guarantee that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward, what is the next week do you think going to bring in this story? So I, I'm, we're hearing that there's probably going to be that the first commercial testing kits will become available, which matters because that could mean that we get more kits going directly to hospitals um, and places that, that deal one on one with individuals. And so that simply just means that many more people may get tested, which may give us a much better sense of just how much of this there is in the community. Um, well, it think, also means numbers are going to go way up. Well, yeah. And I think that's something people need to be aware of because I think we are going to see spikes in numbers and it's going to look concerning. And I think it is concerning in that it's, it's you know, it's scary to think that that's out there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're seeing a spike in actual illness. It's probably been lurking there under the surface for a long time now. Um, but yeah, I think that that's going to happen. Um, and like I said, I think we'll get some new protocols on how to treat people, you know, individuals, and especially, you know, this quarantine issue. There's a lot of people that say we're maybe approaching the time where we're wasting our time doing extensive contact tracing. Um, it's not useful to keep people in quarantine for two weeks. I don't know if that will change for sure next week, but I think it will change soon. Anything else you want to say about where we are with the story today? There's so much I could say. But I know I we have a lot of stories on sfchronicle.com <laughs> right now, including stories about how transit is being deep cleaned, about uh, why test results seem to be inconclusive. But any big picture stuff you want to mention? I think we pretty much covered it. 
great. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. Back to work. Get back to that live blog. I'll be right back after the break with Mallory Mensch to talk about families in particular. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm back with Mallory Mensch. We're going to talk about a story that she did about families in particular. So Mallory, children don't seem to be very badly affected by this virus, which I have to tell you as a mother of a child who unfortunately puts everything in his mouth all the time uh, and in other places <laughs> was a huge relief to me. Do we know why children are not as affected? Well, when I was speaking with some experts, and I'll stress that what we know right now is very limited because it's a new thing and we basically are basing most of this data on a very large study of tens of thousands of Chinese patients, which does show that children do appear less likely to get severely sick and die, which is was good news that I w- was glad to share in the article. Um, I spoke with a pediatric um, infectious disease expert at UCSF who said that uh, children in general have maybe more buoyant immune systems. It's mostly affecting more seriously those who are older or who already have health conditions um, such as lung disease or something like that. And uh, children, if they have milder symptoms, they may not be treated or hospitalized, which is true for a majority of people who get the coronavirus. Around 80 percent have mild symptoms. So they also just might not be reported and we might not know that kids maybe do have it, but it's not as serious. But there is a reason to be concerned about even these very mild cases that children may have because, again, as every parent knows, they are little vectors in the community that can spread it to other people. So what did the experts you spoke to say parents should do about that? For sure. They could definitely still get it. They could have it. They could pass it along to more vulnerable people, which is largely older people with those health conditions. Exactly. So you should definitely be conscious of that. Um, The advice that I got from most of the experts was be aware, be cautious, do the things that you normally do during flu season, wash your hands cough into your elbow, be aware of, you know, being close to people, especially if you maybe think that you might have symptoms, you know, take care to not interact with people as much in public spaces, especially older people. Um, and But don't be alarmed is what they said. At this point, you know, sort of keep calm, carry on, do what you need to do uh, in order to keep yourself and your family safe. Did you get a sense that parents are freaking out about this and particularly concerned? I know you spoke with a couple of them. I did. I heard actually from a lot of parents on social media and spoke with many around the Bay Area. They had a range of responses, uh, sometimes depending on whether they had a background in healthcare. Those who actually had a background in healthcare didn't seem as concerned. Some parents with little kids as well said, well, I wash my hands like 700 times a day anyways because my kid, like you said, is always getting into everything or he always has a snotty nose. So, you know, I'm not as concerned if they get some of these mild symptoms. Um, Some people were definitely changing things that they do in their life. They were maybe not going to indoor play areas, rethinking some of their travel vacation plans, like should I take that trip to the place in the mountains that has a play area where I'll interact with a lot of other kids or a lot of other families. 
definitely a lot of hand sanitizer, cleaning, doorknobs, phones, things like that. So some people were definitely changing things in their life. No one I talked to had taken their kids out of preschool or told them to stop going to school, although parents should definitely be aware that that could happen. We're seeing some school school closures every day. Uh, Today on Thursday, uh, Lowell High School in San Francisco was closed. Not sure for how long. Other schools in San Jose, Oakland, Berkeley, Menlo Park, basically everywhere are starting to close. So parents should be aware of that, um, that schools or preschools could close at short notice. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing when when giant schools like Lowell are are being closed. Mm -hmm. What should parents say to children about something like this? Because, you know, I I mean, it's hard for me to not touch my face and, you know, I I bite my fingernails sometimes. It's hard to not do that. It is impossible for my seven-year-old not to do that. So how do you talk to a child about this without freaking them out? Because, you know, the big, big problems they take very seriously. That is so true. So I talked to the child psychologist about that also from UCSF. She encouraged parents to definitely discuss it with their kids. Don't avoid it. But you don't need to set aside a specific time to sit them down and talk about this very serious thing, the coronavirus, or else they might get alarmed out of proportion. So incorporate it into your daily life with the same advice that you would usually give them. You know, you're getting ready for school. Say, okay, remember, you know, wash your hands. Maybe, you know, teach them to sing happy birthday or another song while they're doing it so they do it long enough. Um, You know, don't cough on people, you know, cough into your elbow, just basic stuff to make sure you reiterate that and not avoid the the situation and talking about it. She also encouraged parents not to use euphemisms. So I guess say, you know, sick or or baby talk or, you know, dumb it down for them. You could describe it similarly to the flu, which your kid might be familiar with because they probably got a flu shot this year. Uh, So in a way that they can understand Um, She did encourage some limiting of media exposure, especially visual media exposure, especially for younger kids who might not understand it or they might only see news about deaths or something that could really freak them out. Um, And the psychiatrist did say, you know, if your kid does seem to, if their worry and anxiety is getting in their way of being able to function in daily life, especially if they maybe have a history of anxiety or OCD and the cleanliness is a big issue for them, then you can seek professional help. But otherwise, just carry on with some of usual advice. (laughs) My son uh, mentioned coronavirus. I was really surprised that he even knew what it was because we Mm -hmm. don't really watch cable news or anything on the television at home. And and I... He was very concerned about getting it, and I told him that it only makes very, very old people sick. And he said, oh, mom, like you? And I said, no. (laughs) So more like (laughs) great-grandma. So it's funny to watch one of these things in the minds of children and see how they internalize it. Mm -hmm. Is there any other advice you would give, maybe specifically for pregnant women or people who are breastfeeding? What do we know about that? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we know even less about how this impacts pregnant women um, and women who are breastfeeding. Um, We have a very, very small study from out of Wuhan University, which has obviously that area seen the most cases, was only with nine pregnant women. It appeared that they didn't pass the virus along to the baby, and they also were not very seriously sick at the time. Um, But we really don't know a lot. Um, We have some evidence from past viruses like SARS that uh, women could be more susceptible to the virus if they're pregnant. In general, your immune system is a little bit weaker. And there could be some adverse effects like preterm births. This is just from some evidence in past viruses. We don't have proof of that yet. 
that could be a possibility. So it's always a good idea just to be extra cautious, you know, perhaps limit some of your interactions with the public. Be sure to do those regular precautions, hand washing that everyone is doing. Um, Unfortunately, we don't know a lot. The risk possibly could be higher. Great. Thanks so much, Mallory. Thank you. I'd like to thank Aaron Alday and Mallory Mensch for being with me today. Thanks to Erica Carlos and King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 